As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. I want to turn to Sebastian Page on some of this, the Chief Investment Strategist and Head of Global Multi Asset at T. Rowe Price. Seb, this is a tough moment for central banks, and some people might say they got themselves into this mess to some extent. For the UK, they face upside risk to inflation potentially and downside risk to growth. Your view on what policy is going to look like in that world and ultimately what it means for risk assets? Now, the discussion on the UK is interesting. I like to look at a, I call it a Bloomberg surveillance measure, the five-year, five-year forward The five-year, five-year forward inflation in the UK is at around 4.7%. That's high. And compare that to the US, where the five-year, five-year forward is at 3.2%. The signal I'm getting from this is that growth is even more fragile in the UK. And the view is that the BOE won't be able to be as aggressive at the Fed. And that also feeds into the weakness in the pound that you were just talking about. Will the weakness in the pound actually help the economy or hurt the economy? Look, uh, it can help in terms of exports for sure, but generally speaking, it also feeds into inflation, which then forces the hand of the BOE as well, and then it gets complicated, right? Look, I think if you step back, you look at the big picture, markets got drunk on liquidity post-COVID. And I know, Jonathan, uh, you were talking about Tom being out earlier this week, and you mentioned a hangover. I don't know if if that's the case, but right now we're going through a hangover in world capital markets. And it's been remarkable uh, in the sense of both stocks and bonds Right down at the same time. Sterling through 125 right now, folks. I'm going to call an important level 124.50, 1.2450 on weak pound. We'll see if we get there. Sebastian, with your book, you own the high ground at T. Rowe Price on this. John mentions what's it mean for risk assets? What's it mean for stocks? Does the market valuation, if we get a current set of currency depreciations off of these absolutely historic central bank moments, can the stock market adapt on valuation on multiples to sustain 
a level market or even a modest single digit bull market? Yeah, really good question, Tom. Look, we entered the year position for this in our tactical portfolios, underweight stocks and within bonds, underweight duration. And what's interesting is we tend to be contrarians. We look at valuation opportunities. We look 12 months out. So normally uh, we would be leaning in both stocks and bonds. And what's interesting is not what we're doing, it's what we're not doing, Tom. We're actually buying back treasuries, closing our underweights. We're not closing our underweights in stocks. And I said in surveillance back in November, inflation's the number one risk for markets. I continue to say this, inflation is the number one risk for markets. And the key question that's debated on your show all the time is will the inflation shock lead to a recession, a growth shock? Seb, great to catch up with you, sir. As always, Sebastian Page there at T. Rowe Price. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. With ADP, their chief economist, wonderfully attuned to the dynamics of the American economy, Neela Richardson joins us right now. Neela, I'm looking at core CPI that John just mentioned, and I guess it's a pause that McKee just mentioned. We migrate from 6.5 to 6.1% on the survey on core inflation. 114% of our audience on radio and TV thinks people like McKee, Farrell, Keene, and the rest are nuts saying that's a good trend. How much does that trend have to move down to where we can begin to relax? Uh, hi, Tom. Thanks for starting off with an easy question. I, I, I think we, we're going to stay on the edge of our seats until we see that core inflation move down below 3%. Yeah. I, 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 I think that we can't um, take it as a foregone conclusion that it moves down in a straight line either. Um, many on your show have said that the Fed can only do so much, that this is a supply uh, side issue as much of it as a demand issue. And so we might see inflation bounce around even in the core rate. Uh, and so uh, comfort is, I think, of below 3%. Neela, do you think that people interpreted yesterday's press conference correctly? No, I don't. Um, I think that it was way too easy for the Fed. And I know that's part of their job. Their job is to make it look easy. But it's not about what the markets do the day after the press conference. It's what the inflation does months from now. And we haven't seen it yet. And the numbers that Mike just read are, are concerning. 
productivity went down, wages went up. Uh, and so that's not the place where the Fed wants to be. They want, if wages are going up, it's because the economy is getting more productive, not because uh, we have this super tight, unhealthy supply shortage. And I think that is the concern. Wages may not boost inflation, uh, but wage growth can keep it around a lot longer than anyone's expecting right now. Another thing that uh, really a lot of people picked up on that Jay Powell said yesterday was that he really sees the core rate, uh, the target rate, still be around 2 to 3 percent in terms of how far they will raise rates. Do you think that that's something we can take at face value? Or do you think that perhaps there is more willingness than perhaps was reflected to go beyond that into a tightening that perhaps uh, was what people were pricing in earlier this week, but not now? <laughs> well, I, I think that that uh, for now, in terms of the fundamentals, which are strong and, and where the Fed is guiding towards, I think that's appropriate. I, I'm always struck by this comparison with 1994 going from six to 11 versus where we are not now going from rock bottom zero to three. We're still in the school zone in terms of rate hikes. We are not on the open highway. So I think uh, what the Fed is, is trying to say is that they can maneuver a soft landing given that we're starting from such a very low point on the federal funds rate. You were out at Indiana University which I believe is a stomping ground of one James Bullard. John Farrell says Mr. Bullard will speak tomorrow. And Indiana, folks, is a really acclaimed, interesting mathematics and economics uh, combine. Neela, there's a different view out in Indiana. It's an optimism that America can heal and move on away from the elites on the East Coast. Is that still in place? Can we technologically move on and move forward like that Indiana optimism? I'll have to note, Tom, that Governor Waller is also an IU uh, affiliate, too. Oh, keep it so coming. We, we have a good representation on the in the Federal Reserve System right now. Um, you know, I think that the optimism around innovation and produ productivity is warranted. Um, that's what makes the wage gains good for the economy. That's what leads to profitability. Um, and we've seen a a big uptick in innovation just to get through the pandemic. A lot of things that were uh, expected well into the future in terms of e-commerce right. and I can, AI automation have been pulled forward. So the question <clears throat> is, can the economy build on that momentum on those gains right. uh, to keep that pro productivity moving forward? John, I love this that we have Neela on. And I'm sorry, John, there's just not enough Midwest, you know, freshwater representation in the economic discussion. You get guys like Jerome Powell, who are a beast of finance on the East Coast. Neela, we have to run. Thank you. Then we'll do the geography class <laughs> so much. a little bit later. Neela Richardson there of ADP. Thank you very much. We'll drive forward this story through the day on radio and television with Mark Chandler. His book, Political Economy of Tomorrow, looked at the astrology of the foreign exchange system. He's chief market strategist at Bannockburn. Mark, you're a great student of this. I want to go back to 1992, I believe John Major, and essentially the modern collapse of the British financial system. Yes, there was a few other moments along the way, including Mervyn King. Compare and contrast... What is coming for Governor Bailey and what John Major dealt with in 1992 with Sterling Collapse? Yeah, so, Tom, remember, in 1992, the U.K. was part of the exchange rate mechanism that limited how much the Sterling could move. It had trouble keeping into that, maintaining that band. 
And uh, now the U.K. has gotten its freedom. It's not limited by that ban. And Sterling has collapsed. You know, yesterday, Chairman Powell talked it sort of like channeled Paul Volcker, but I think it's really Bailey who's doing it. Despite what Lisa was saying, the U.K.'s forecast, the Bank of England's forecasting contraction in GDP next year and still going to be stagnant in 2024, they're hiking rates. And not only hiking rates, but they also announced that starting September, they will begin selling right. off its corporate bond holdings. Mark, what will be the lessons here? And this, I think, folks of the great Jens Nordvig and Mark Chandler <laughs> together on this. Mark Chandler, how does the ECB in a more conservative block at the ECB is represented by the Bundesbank. How do they respond to what is, we've seen this morning? I don't think that what happens in the Bank of England makes the ECB change their dynamics whatsoever. I do think the Hawks have been pressing for a July rate hike, but, and the market, the swaps market, has it priced in, a 25, about a 25 basis point hike in July. But I think that this is, this is scary in the sense that the, we saw that happen today with the factory orders in Germany, weaker than expected industrial output yes. in France. The, Europe, Europe as a whole, it's not just the UK, but Europe as a whole looks to me like it's headed for a recession. Is that being priced into the euro right now, Mark? Well, I think partly, but I think that really what's priced into the euro is how aggressive the Fed is. I know a lot of people are critical of the Fed that they're behind the curve, but I think that they're playing catch-up. And it's not, just, it's not just that the Fed is behind the curve, something wrong with the Federal Reserve, but look what happened. Sweden, who said they were going to hike rates for 2024, hiked rates. And it's the same thing that we've seen from other central banks like the Reserve Bank of Australia, hiking rates even. So I think that all the major central banks are behind the curve, but partly because I want to say in their defense that the pandemic and then the Russian invasion of Ukraine and then the slowdown, the COVID sort of induced slowdown in China, is just, is just more than anybody had, would have expected or were able to Nothing in our experience let us prepare for this. A lot of people are talking about the potential for recession in Europe. The Bank of England seeing a very high likelihood of recession in England and the United Kingdom in the face of these dynamics. In the U.S., there seems to be a consensus that that is not the near-term forecast, that there is so much of a momentum here underpinning the strength. Do you think that that's overstated, or do you think that people can bet on that, leading to even more dollar strength? But I do think that we'll get some more dollar strength there. And I think that tomorrow we're going to get the jobs report in the U.S. And I see the estimates falling a little bit, but we're still talking about 300, 380,000 increasing in jobs. It's hard for me to see a recession with that. So I am very sensitive to this. We are going to have a slowdown. I sort of just see it taking place later this year and into next year, not so much in the immediate, you know, in the, in the next quarter or two. We did have that sharp contraction in Q1 GDP. But that was really a statistical fluke, right? Because of trade and inventory, the re- what we what the economists call final sales to domestic purchasers was actually a relatively robust yeah. number. Mark, I want to go back to how we were all weaned on this because all of us began foreign exchange and banking by watching Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins. I mean, let's be honest, Dick Van Dyke stole the show. And Mark Chandler, there's a view of the Bank of England. I mean, Farrell grew up with this view of the Fidelity and Fiduciary Bank, which was the bank in the movie Mary Poppins. We have moved on from that, from Mark, a new central bank that is supposed to have a new social construct. Is that social construct getting in the way of making tough decisions? I don't know. I mean, I mean look what they just did. They hiked rates. Six members, I mean, they all voted in favor of, the, excuse me, six voted in favor of the rate hike. 
three of them wanted a 50 basis point rate hike, knowing full well that the cost of living squeezed is going to be crushing the consumer and businesses in the U.K. I don't know. I don't see this as, as some kind of uh, give back to uh, the social, uh, social consciousness. Where I sort of see that happening is really in Mexico, where yesterday President AMLO announced a pact with businesses right. to limit the price increase of like 24 common products. Mike, uh, Mark, we got to leave it there on short notice. Mark Chandler today with Bannockburn. I just love, love, love the tapestry, Lisa, that Mr. Chandler puts to the history and the social aspects of all this financial blather uh, that we do. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I would respectfully suggest folks to get every second of value we can here that Benjamin Broadbent, Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, ex-Goldman Sachs, truly one of the giant lights of uh, uh, United Kingdom economics, and Governor Bailey, they would like to listen to Paul Sankey. He is founder and lead analyst at Sankey Research with an absolutely blistering note for a two-hour conversation. Paul, I want to go to the nitty-gritty of your expertise, which is you link Henry Hub and LNG into a net gas explosion in price and profit. Discuss that. Well, supply, U.S. production is not uh, reacting to high prices. So a lot of our normal elasticities are simply not there. And, and the other key one is that coal prices are very high and coal inventories are very low. So the U.S. Uh, price, as you know, as you mentioned, has gone to $8.50 per MMBTU, which is, you know, a 15-year high. And I've got clients that think it's going to 20. So the reason, obviously, wow. is that Europe is cutting off Russian gas. And uh, as a result, they have to import as much LNG as they can. They were dependent on the spot market, so they don't have long-term contracts. And as a result, effectively, they're having to buy LNG from a buyer, from someone who's already got the contract <clears throat> right. in Asia. And to, put so it, it's, it's a mess. and to put it in scale, folks, net gas, we frame it two, three. It's now eight. And Mr. Sankey just said we should enjoy uh, 20. Paul Sankey, let's look at the United Kingdom and the United States gallon of gas. And I understand there's taxes and John drives a little car over there. I get it. But it's $4.58, up 26% to United Kingdom, $5.79. 
You say the profits are out there for big oil like you've never seen in 30 years. It goes back to Jurgen and the prize, the whole thing. What's a gallon of gas going to cost in three or five years? Well, I think we're going to hold 110 to 150. We've we've wobbled below 110, as you know, on Brent, but now we're back in the range that I anticipated after Russia. And the core was that it would be a quagmire in uh, in Ukraine, and that would over time, the longer that went on, the more Russian oil and gas we would lose. Now we're focused on May the 9th for uh, the, you know the, the key date in Russia where they celebrate the uh, the victory over the Nazis. And we're wondering what's going to happen, but that could be a key uh, a key catalyst state, whether or not Putin declares victory, whether or not he goes to all out um, you know bombing. I don't know what he's going to do, but, but we're watching that date carefully. But what we do know is that Russian oil and gas has now effectively gone from the market as far as the EU is concerned. And that's a very, very big deal for markets, which were already tight, as you know, before this all kicked off. Paul, a lot of this goes to how much can people keep betting on oil companies at a time when there's a lot of complaints, especially on the regulatory and political side, about how much gas prices are going up, how much oil prices are going up. Well, at the same time, there is this uncertain backdrop on the macroeconomic picture. Shell just reported a record profit. We've seen this time and time again. How much more upside is there in these companies, given the 50% rally year to date, given the fact that there is all of this regulatory uh, scrutiny? Yeah, you know, that's the number one concern of the clients. So, that you know, the, the, the buy side, obviously, is my clients, the investors in oil, are worried that the, the government won't tolerate, the U.S. government, for example, won't tolerate 10 or $20 Henry Hub gas because of the impact it'll have on, on the U.S. consumers. But, you know, the government's very weak. And they don't have uh, an energy policy, and they have a couple of key senators, uh, you know, Joe Manchin, obviously, who oppose any kind of interference in markets. And it's complicated to interfere in the gas market. It's a free market. These guys are selling gas directly by contract through processing hubs like Chenier. Um, and you know, to, to to shut that down as a government would be would be difficult without legislation. And legislation, we think, is very difficult. So I think, you know, much like the OPEC meeting that you just asked me about before we came on, uh, they're kind of powerless. You know, there's not much they can do. And we're just at the mercy of the market. And that's why it's such a, a crazy uh, environment for the oils, because, you know, the money they're going to make is going to be enormous and it will infuriate people. But what are you going to do about it? It's been a nuts environment. That's for sure. Paul, thank you. As always, buddy. Paul, thank you there. Thank you, research. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.